It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to seboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at CBOC.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Thursday get-together for IOs, HR, and all those in the helping and network. Uh, Jeremy, you've brought us together once again. It's great to see everybody here. And today, you've picked the topic of how to use healthy competition to spark productivity in virtual teams. Um, Very topical, but how did you come up with this? It's one of those, I think what some companies are, um, if anyone's ever been, you know, whitewater rafting, you've got, or, or kayaking, when you hit those rapids, you have to keep going. So I think what some companies might be able to use is a little bit of a sense of urgency. And with competition, that's one way to create a sense of urgency in order to spark productivity, new ideas, and also spark some vision. There's tons and tons and tons of examples, tons of ways that this can be done. It doesn't necessarily have to be a competition within a team one-on-one. Every manager has to know their own team because that can be very bad, of course, if done the right way. But it can also be, you know, interdepartmental competition, even, you know, having a couple people, three people from different departments paired, maybe they're on the same team for something. I've run a, a lot of these different things. So I'm speaking from... Um, you know, the movie that I have playing in my head of all this effectiveness. And I'll read some, um, I think I've done it before, but I might, uh, if I end up talking about a particular engagement competition that I ran, I'll end up sharing some of the, uh, the testimonials from that. But there's a lot of powerful things that can come out of, again, healthy competition. And I'm sure, I'm sure this will go very good way in, in lots of different directions. So I'm not even going to suggest any that it may go. So well, just, back just, to you. well, just to start with, maybe you better, <laughs> maybe we better describe healthy competition as opposed to what usually happens. Ah, good. So healthy competition, I'm always a big fan of working within people's talents and their pa- pa- talent, yeah, tongue tied. Come on, Jeremy, spit it out. Passions, ambitions, and talents, right? I call them pats. So that will help healthy competition. How do you get people to not feel judged first off? Of course, we, all, we, we talk often about psychological safety, creating an environment where it's okay to fail, fail, you know, also that does, it's not a blanket statement. If you're using healthy competition to get that $14 million account, it's not really a 
pass or fail situation. So again, it's there, there's going to be a lot of leeway here in terms of how these things are run. The purpose is how do we get some ideas generated and how do we get people here today and listening to the podcast to think how can, you know, people listening to podcasting right here should be thinking, can be thinking, how can I start to have competition with myself even? How can I create a sense of urgency with the, the particular things that I'm doing? Um, and then also in terms of healthy competition, what takes an individual team and a company to a place better than it's headed? What makes their, the tomorrow better than today? What wipes clear almost if possible the some of the negativity and some of the uncertainty? So clarity in these types of things will be very, very important. Think about, let, let's think at the end of the day, you, you go, you sit, you chill out, you're watching Netflix. You are involved in that. You're, if you're, especially if it's a series that you really like, you're, that's what you're thinking about. You're not thinking about the ill day. You're not thinking, you're, you're there. So how can we use this competition to get people's minds there where they're focused on a single goal and oftentimes in a very, very fun way that can also book? Do you think that type of healthy competition as well will help with the remote workers and their feeling of isolation to combat that? With any team, you've got to have collaboration. So my mind, and I'll give you a little insight. So my mind, I'm thinking about competition in terms of my standpoint is more of teams. So when I speak, it's probably more times like three people, four, even five people getting together and some kind of a team. Um, so with that comes collaboration and communication. So it's required. A team can't operate without communication. So yes, in terms of the virtual aspects of it, that's going to help start to define some of the parameters for organizations. And these social norms are going to start to pop up and new ways of communicating and new things and new ingenuity. So there's tons of good things that, that, can, that, that can come out of this. And for the individuals, any type of success, any type of challenge, that comes with a competition requires communicating successes so other people know about them and being able to communicate properly so that you can get barriers to your success. All right, uh, Brittany, let me go to you. I see your hand up there. And <laughs> it's two guys talking right now who, you know, I get the feeling we both like competition, um, but not everybody likes competition. So, you know, Brittany, how do you, how do you deal with that? So that's actually why I raised my hand was because I score extremely low in competitiveness. So here's my question. I'd love anybody's input. Is there a significant difference, um, maybe in morale, maybe in outcomes, whether you're competing with someone else, like your team is racing another team, or whether you're competing to an objective thing and not tied to people or teams? That would deal with um, external versus internal motivation, I think, more likely, Brittany. So um, at least that's what it sounds like to me. So people who tend to compete with themselves tend to be more internally motivated. And those that uh, tend to compete with others tend to be more externally motivated. Um, so I think it's just a matter of knowing which way you lean, because we're always a mixture of both, um, whether we like to believe it or not. And um, so, yeah, just kind of knowing where does that uh, locus of control sit for you and 
what does that look like is really important. And I think that's a conversation that should be had more often in the workplace, right? I think managers should understand locus of control. I think they should understand internal versus external motivation. Um, I don't think they need to understand whether or not someone scores high in you know, competitiveness, but I think they should know um, where is their motivation coming from? Is it coming from within themselves or is it coming from the team, the group, the environment or the objective? Okay. Um, so those of us who are internally motivated, generally, if we're objectively motivated, that comes from that internal locus of control. So what do I mean by that? That means my values are directly like attached to that outcome or that objective, um, most likely. Um, those that are externally motivated, if there's an objective, it's because they want to own or manage that thing, most likely. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, I know that locus of control is yeah one of your favorite topics. I think maybe I didn't ask the question correctly. So I'll give an example. Um, when I was managing a restaurant, I could either pit different shifts against each other to you know hit we sold X amount of the top salads, or I can pitch them just against an objective, like let's get to X number of salads sold on this shift and not worry about comparing them to the other people that were doing the other thing on the other shift. So headed toward an objective rather than competing with another team, I think is my question. Is there any difference? I don't know that there is that much of a difference, but I would say that in that particular scenario, it's it behooves the person in that instance, you to understand does the majority of the group have an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control, because the majority always pushes the actions of the group. That's just how it works. Um, and there's always going to be an outlier. So even if you had everyone focused toward that external objective or outcome, there's going to be people within that group that don't like it that way, that would prefer it to be team versus team. Um, so it's really just about understanding what the majority is motivated by and then going for that. So if that particular group was more internally focused, then that objective would have been fine if it was values driven. If it was um, the other way around and it was team versus team, then you have like a competitive group and maybe there's prizes involved and that sort of thing. Um, and then that would have been more appropriate. So it's just about that manager understanding where does their team typically get excited um, and where do they see an increase in behavior? So what excites your team, what gets them creating action and momentum? And then how do you sustain that over time? I hope All that right. well, let's go to Linda Ann. So I, <clears throat> I, I totally agree with, with Sarah on the internal and external motivation and really understanding what motivates people. I mean, if, if anybody has kids, one of the most important thing when you're raising your children is to understand what motivates them so that you can use that effectively, right? So it's the same thing when you're, when you're working with um, adults. You have to understand really what motivates them. And that's one of the, the artful pieces of management is to be willing to manage each person differently according to how they're motivated and how they, they work. I think that one of the things that we need to be careful with in competition is making sure that we're not setting people up so that they undermine each other, right? So that when you're in a competition, you know, is there the 
propensity or, or opportunity for them to not share information with somebody, some other team or some other part of the company or whatever that is, whatever that structure is for your organization. And uh, because it benefits them somehow to keep it to themselves because that will get them further according to whatever the incentive is. So I think that that's really the challenge in this process. It's, there's so many opportunities to um, motivate people and, and, and stimulate creativity, but we really need to be mindful of what, what ultimate motivations will take place as a result. Yeah, you don't want to sabotage what you're trying right. to do. But <laughs> well, we could have won, but anyways, Lee, let's go to you. Uh, you know, thinking through this, uh, you know, when it first started, I was sitting there thinking how this could, could possibly work. And, you know, in different industries that, I, that I've thought about on a, on a daily work, I don't know how this can work in a lot of places just because of the daily tasks that you might have to do. So I could see this working more with a project, you know, special projects, um, you know, innovation competitions or, or something. Um, and, and of course, it, it you're also going to, you have to have the safeguards too. Like, like Linda Lane was saying, you have to make sure you're, you're really kind of watching your parameters so that you can make sure that people aren't shortcutting or uh, unsafe practices or, or whatever, which I guess unsafe is more industrial setting than, than an office, but, um, and, and whether or not there's collaboration involved. Cause like, like she said, that's definitely a big thing. If there's collaboration with other teams that you might be in competition against, you know, what are the safeguards that somebody's not holding something back because they want to win? <clears throat> and what are you going to win? Do you get an Amazon gift card? Do you get a day off? Uh, you know, do you get to, to, to leave, you know, log off five minutes early? You know, I mean, what what is our motivation? And because motivation is different for everybody. Some people you do a shout out in the in the company newsletter and, and man, they'll do everything for you. And other people, they're going to need a bonus or a day off or, you know, something. Um so really, I would be interested to, to really kind of think through how this you could you could do this on a daily task kind of thing as opposed to projects. Yeah. And then you meet somebody like me who it's a competition. I'm going to sabotage everybody so I can win because, you know, that's the way I am. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, Dr. Martha, nice to have you joining us. Please unmute your mic and join us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so one of the things that keeps coming to my mind as we talk about competition. In today's world, I think competition is seen, generally speaking, as very cutthroat. Um, I have to win and somebody else has to lose in order for me to win. But I think what we're missing out is the opportunity of collaboration as part of competition. And so now we're going back to things like sabotaging other people or potentially missing out on bigger wins because we were not willing to cooperate, but rather we wanted to do it all by ourselves. If we think about the kinds of accomplishments that humanity has displayed through the ages, no one man could have accomplished some of these. Think about the pyramids, think about skyscrapers. It all came down to collaboration. So Somewhere in there, there has to be that spirit of collaboration because we are stronger together than alone. And I'm afraid that competition has become such a cutthroat, self-serving um, type of concept that we're missing out on that collaboration option or opportunity. 
Yeah, I think that's a key point because, you know, I, I know sometimes working in teams, if it's competition, I might not want to compete and I feel left out now. But if it's presented to me as a collaboration and we're all teaming up, I feel much more like I want to be a part of that. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. That's one of the things that um, I've seen recommended is that somehow you structure the competition or the incentive to be to reinforce the collaboration, right? That that's the piece that's rewarded rather than the end result. It's like not the end result, but how you got to that end result is the, the what's being rewarded so that you don't end up um, in a position where it benefits you to undermine the other teams or competition or people or whatever that is. Right. Ariana. Yeah, I think this is an interesting concept. And I think sometimes we think of competition, we sometimes set it up as a competition, but I think we can also just introduce new activities with new rules, which sometimes may have rewards tied to it and sometimes not. Like I've seen this used for areas where teams want to grow and investigate. So in a past workplace, we were split up into three groups. We were all in charge of researching different topics pertinent to the future of our business. And then we had to do a presentation. So there were these parameters around what was going on. And in some ways, it was a competition in that you wanted to come across professional, well-researched on your game. You know, we had prizes for other people. We incorporated activities into our presentation. And so I think it brought that kind of competitive edge as in like, what is your best work? But I don't think it always needs to be like at the disadvantage of someone else. And then it was like an iterative process. And we saw the other groups, you know, incorporating things we did. We incorporated, you know, and the products itself and our presentations were improved each time. So I think it's kind of a balance. Like we can learn and improve through other people's strengths, but it doesn't need to be that we're sabotaging them in the process. Well, uh, Jeremy, let me come back to you because, you know, as I sit here and I'm listening to this, I, I, I kind of wonder you know, if we can get everybody together on the team and it's effective, great. But if we do have, you know, even one person on that team who doesn't want to play, uh, it can become destructive to the organization. At the same time, maybe that was the point. Maybe I'm putting a competition together for my team to see how they work together in that competitive environment, how they collaborate together. And maybe if things go wrong, it's it's an indication to me that there's something greater at issue with my team. Uh, but as you hear all of these different concepts, I mean, how do we use competition without eliminating somebody, without, have, without it having, you know, going completely wrong on us? Very valid point, because you're right. There, there are going to be some people who just don't like to participate in things. You know, sometimes I, I, there's plenty of times that I don't want to be a supator. <laughs> I just, I like to watch and I, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do stuff. I don't, you know, I, but one way, I mean, so first off, make sure that nobody's look at anxiety, right? So first off, you make sure nobody hasn't, is going to lose it. The only thing that can happen is people can win. People fear. I mean, look at all the studies on gambling, right? People fear a loss much, much more then they enjoy a game. Losing something is it's the worst. So first, you know, make sure that you start to eliminate the, the different anxieties. And 
cautionary on the team on you know team building events team building events are some of those things that people look i don't want to participate they might not want to go and do the um like the strange scooter ride around around the town as a, as a team building event wear the funny hats so you know so be aware of what people like to do but also stretch at the same time if you're the leader of a team push your team members say look hey we're going to ride around in these funny hats for a little bit and it's going to be fun how many times have we all said i don't want to do it you know we're like kids i don't want to do it and then you do it and then you like it do you want to go on the ride again yeah so it's it's really it's it's hard to tell sometimes but you know you you know your team best uh figure out it, it comes down to asking those open ended questions you, if you're if you're starting to decide on what kind of uh, an event or competition, if you can get if you can get people involved and just get them a little bit excited, they'll start to generate ideas. You're going to get based on what they suggest. You're going to get an idea of what they're up for. If they you know if they suggest that you know you go and you know you get involved in a team swim meet, and the other one wants to, is looking at doing crafts or individual projects and who can beat the other person in time, you're going to start to understand a little bit about what makes them tick and what makes them go. So there's ways to manage it in that regard. Ask also important questions regarding how will we make this effective? Because some people think you're you at Tom, you asked the right questions at the beginning. All right, what are we talking about here? And we talk about healthy competition. Some people look at that as okay, we're gonna do a you know, like a, a mock indie car 500 team building simulation. That that's, that's not exactly, I mean, it can be viewed as a competition, but team building is is dangerous in a lot of a lot of times because of the reasons that have been expressed. People might not want to do it, but people don't get a lot out of out of team building. You go to a team building. You're uncomfortable. You stick around the same people that you stick around with work all the time. You hang out with them. It's like school dance, you know, friends in one corner, friends in the other corner. You have to make those really work in terms of how are we going to make this different and effective? So if you're going to have something like a team building, make sure that you're pairing up people with people they never expected to talk to. Maybe you say, oh, hey, CEO, you're going to be involved here. Good. I want you to talk to all of these people that you wouldn't be talking to. Talk to different people, get an idea, make people feel appreciated. There's different ways that people appreciate it. And I'll go back to what I've said before. If you're a supervisor in the workforce, it, this comes as a little bit of a gut punch sometimes because people don't realize it. If you're a supervisor in the workforce, you're the topic of conversation at the dinner table every night. Wow. Spotlight's just on you, but a lot of times we don't realize it. So if that's you and now you realize it, most there's a lot of people out there that don't want negative things said about them. So knowing that, how can you improve the work experience and how can you do that in a healthy way by including other people in what these types of competition are going to be? And there's competition can be as high, as low, as, as wide, right or left as you want it to be. It all depends on what, you know, maybe you start out, if you're new to it, maybe you start out little. What's the smallest thing I could do right now to, um, to, to increase the sense of team? Maybe you start with that question. And then, wow, they, they would do that. What's the next level up? that I could do to increase competition. So if you think about two things, what can I do to create a sense of urgency? And then also what can I do to show the team that I'm going to remove barriers to them? People are motivated enough uh, in place. There's a school of thought that says we need to stop focusing less on motivating people and focus more on removing barriers to what they're already motivated. And Tom, I know I didn't even come close to answering your question, but I gave it a really, really roundabout shot. <laughs> well done. 
Uh, Lee, let's go back to you, and then and then Jeremy, I got another question for, you, but Lee, let's go to you first. You know, uh, we we've kind of I think we've kind of as we always do, we've kind of evolved our conversation a little bit, and because I think that our original thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is using competition in the remote workplace, and you know, we've we've kind of morphed into team building and stuff, and and I think one thing that we've got to take in, into consideration, especially given the last couple of years is that some of these work from home people don't live in the same place. And so a lot of these team building efforts are going to be predicated on stuff you can do online. And, and you have to take in a, in a uh, somebody put in the, the, the chat about location, you know, what considered healthy competition in one place may not be considered healthy competition somewhere else. And, and people view it very differently. And especially if you're in an international organization where you have completely different cultures involved, Something that somebody thinks is just a you know a, a lot of fun on a Saturday evening might be totally offensive to someone else. Um, so I can see that this this is a this is a fascinating topic. I was kind of kind of scratching my head when I first saw it, but the ramifications of how you would do this in an online world uh, anyway, but especially with a distributed workforce, man, <laughs> <laughs> we need brand new books just for the online world. Um, but let's go to Sarah because it looks like she has an answer. No, I don't have an answer. I just have a, I, I have an anecdote of uh, how we might approach some of these things. Okay, so when it comes to Jeremy's point about getting people to talk to other people, it made me think of this event that I went to with my husband for his work. And it was a holiday party. But what they did was they actually uh, did seating charts. And they paired people up that were in different lines of business, sitting at different tables for the holiday party. So literally to Jeremy's point, trying to get individuals from different lines of business and different teams talking to each other. And it worked. I met so many people that evening and my husband did as well that we had never crossed paths with before that we still talk to, to this day. So that was really, really effective. And, you know, I really think that Jeremy has really highlighted something there that can be used really effectively. If we're talking about competition, right? If we're talking about competing with people that in a friendly way that we maybe have not been exposed to yet before, it can serve as relationship building if you structure it correctly. Um, so yeah, just, I, I really wanted to share that um, because Jeremy, you took me back to that. And I remember being really impressed with whoever came up with that because it made the evening a lot more rich we weren't just sitting around, you know, like the school dance going like this because we were sick of the people and seeing the same faces all the time. It was it was really nice. And they incorporated a game into it. So there was like a, a search and find aspect to it. So we were all working together as a team. So, yeah, I just I wanted to throw out that little story to kind of illustrate what Jeremy was talking about. Uh, well, <laughs> Good for Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy, let me come back to you. Uh, because, you know, I'm old enough to remember when not everybody got a participation certificate. <laughs> and there were winners and there were losers. Um, and then, you know, I raised my daughters and everybody got a prize. Uh, which is better? I don't really know. I, I, you know, I know I survived when I was a kid, you know, hated it when I didn't win. Uh, but sometimes that inspired me to get better. But do you know, as we're working in the business world, 
you know, it used to be a lot more cutthroat. Maybe it still is. Maybe, you know, when we talk to managers, they will tell us there are winners and losers. But do you want to have that element when you're working with teams, especially online? Do you want to have that compete or is it an advantage? Does it, does it signify who needs to improve and how we're going to improve them? Maybe that motivates them where we're going to make sure that next time there's a competition, you're winning. So what direction do we go there? Uh, Jeremy, let's start with you. And then Linda, and I'll come to you. I'm reading through and I'm, I'm, I've got my, my finger on the button of what you were saying. So you don't want people to lose. So that actually made me think about my previous point about you don't want people to lose something. People can lose a competition in a game, but they can't lose. I guess I thank you. So now I can clarify. You can't cause them to lose face. You can't cause them to lose uh, uh, confidence, uh, th- that kind of stuff. Right. They, they can lose. That, that's how, so how do you how do you lose with fun? Like, <laughs> how can you how can I lose and still have really enjoyed the competition? All right. Let me give you an example, because we're doing this with the with Pathfinder game. time. But here's a very I can't help but look and I'm looking through all these things. So let's let's play a game quick just for fun. All right. So this is a game called Mind Trap. All right. When I was I was working with uh, at risk youth long, long, long time ago, and I was doing some uh, understudy thing and at a uh, like a boot camp, military boot camp. And the math teacher was playing this. I think this is the box that I still have. I mean, it's got to be 100. So uh, let's let's try this. Here, here's here's an easy one. Oh, it's Mind Trap, by the way. It's a lateral thinking puzzle game that'll ch- challenge the way you think. Charlie. Chrome Dome went for a walk without an umbrella. He did not wear a hat. He did not take refuge under a shelter, yet not one hair on his head was wet. How is this possible? Do you want me to answer that? <laughs> no, because it seems like you already have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Linda Ann's hand is up. Let's go to her. <laughs> well, I'm thinking you didn't say it was actually raining. So um, I might not be raining so that it- just because he has an umbrella doesn't mean it's raining. So, um, bingo. <laughs> See, everyone else lost, right? Because you won. <laughs> Let's do another one just for fun. During World War II, several British naval spies on the lookout for enemy ships and activities posed as Canadian lobster fishermen. They had a large number of plastic orange color lobsters made for their covert operations. These lobsters came in various sizes with authentic markings. At night, the spies loaded the lobsters into traps and threw them overboard. At daybreak, they would hoist the traps aboard the ship. The locals spotted them as fraudulent fishermen from quite some distance. How were they so easily detected? That's a good one. Stumped. Lobsters aren't really orange, are they? Right. They're only orange when they cook. You got it. All right, Linda, <laughs> I'm on fire oh, today. <laughs> Awesome. So anyway, there's an example, I guess, Tom, for what you're saying. Every, you know, everyone here, including myself, lost each one, but we still had had fun doing it. And there's and obviously so there's I guess there's ways and it takes a little bit of thinking, a little bit of bringing the team together together to find how are what can we do to spark healthy competition? Maybe it would be a good idea to even remove how how do we change the the definition of Maybe it's using healthy sense of urgency. Maybe it's using healthy. Um, I don't know. Let's think about that. Tom, back over. If here. it's just so. called play, Jeremy, <laughs> or because maybe. that's what we're doing. We're playing, and for some reason, adults think we're not allowed to. 
Well, yeah, it's good. we can't do that in the corporate world. We can't play. We're busy playing, people. having <laughs> fun. How dare you have fun and make money at the same time? <laughs> All right, Linda, did you actually have a question or did you want to just play more games? Well, I always want to play more games, but um, <laughs> what what I, my thought is, is, is when you're talking about losers and, and winners and, and so forth, I think that some of those are, are, you know, as teams and so forth are, are good. I think that for me though, as a, as a manager or a leader, that it's really having your finger on the pulse of what motivates the person as, as Sarah was saying earlier, because that can be spark some ongoing general competitions within themselves with it that are healthier, where if you go ahead and say, for example, I know that so-and-so really loves it when you call them out in their newsletter, right? And, and you do that for them. What that does is that sparks that internal motivation to get to have that happen again, right? It's a little Pavlov's dogs or whatever, but um, you want that to happen more, but that may not work for the person they sit next to. And you go ahead and say, all right, well, um, here's, you know, a $50 bill because you, you know, got that deadline done. That's what their motivation is. And you do it there. So you have to, if you go ahead and manage those individual motivations, it doesn't necessarily spark that that competitive nature against each other. It's more of a competitive competition with themselves. Can they get that to that level again? And so I'd love to hear feedback on that. Well, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I wanted to go back to the question of how do I lose and enjoy myself? Because I think that is so important to think about. We're looking for this one size fits all answer. I don't think that's realistic. There are differences between people motivate people's motivations, their personalities, uh, corporate culture can even come play. So, okay, we had a little fun and one person won, the rest of us lost, but there was nothing at stake. When we're talking about the work environment, it's very different. It's not necessarily fun game that we really lose. It was just fun. We all had some fun. Uh, but I think we're looking to provide an answer for something that isn't necessarily answerable as a one answer fits all. So it's important to consider that. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Jeremy, let me bring that back to you, Lane, because, um, you know, you, you and I and Sarah talk a lot about analytics and about, you know, how you find out more about people and the, understand the way that they work. Is, 
is this something we want to have into perspective that, you know, the business world is a little bit differently, but if we know more about our people, we can organize competitions, if you want to call them that, or collaborations that really do bring people together. But we do have to keep that uniqueness in mind, do we not? Yeah, something there's, I've talked about, it's called the Colby Colby B or Colby profile, where you look at productivity style. That can be really interesting to look at because, you know, some people are, uh, like your quick, quick start idea people, they don't, they don't, there's other people who like to plan to a plan and they're very good at planning. Right. And then there's other people who learn and show by doing, and then there's other people first think of a scavenger hunt and getting a team of one other. How interesting that. So there's, there's a way to, to, to learn through either productivity style or, you know, of course, personality. Um, what it, uh, oh man, my mind just got, there's so many different things you can, you can do to really get people working and acting with, with any competition into what they love to do. What are you really good at? The really question. Um, I'll leave it at, I'll leave it at that for now. Uh, yeah, Sarah, I was going to actually come to you. <laughs> Go ahead. I was just going to say, follow the dopamine, follow the dopamine guys. Um, so personally I'm a neurodivergent individual, so I have ADHD quite terribly. And I think if I were to actually go in and do some testing, I might end up on the spectrum, but we're not going to do that. And we're just going to say neurodivergent because I like that much better. Um, I recognize that unless I am getting a dopamine hit, it's very, very hard for me to stay motivated to do anything. And so what does that tell me as an individual, as an individual, there are good ways to get dopamine hits and there are bad ways to get dopamine hits, right? So you can do things like gambling, which will give you a crazy level of dopamine for someone like myself, but probably not the best thing for me to be doing. Right. Um, so I do find that a lot of people, and, and this is coming more and more to the front of, you know, what we're dealing with as practitioners, neurodivergence is, is a spectrum and we all exist on this neurodivergent spectrum. Okay. So people are saying, oh, I'm neurodivergent or I'm neurodivergent or I'm normal and I'm normal. No, you're not. You all exist on this spectrum of motivation and dopamine is a key that we can use to motivate ourselves and our teams. We can either use it well, or we can use it inappropriately. But I think it's really what Jeremy was saying as well, and just kind of affirming in that when you are doing a job that your brain is wired to do, you get dopamine hits. And so it makes you continue to do it. That's all it is. We like to overcomplicate things. We like to overcomplicate our physiology. We're humans. We could somehow better than the animals. No, we're not. So we are easily trained. So I think one way to go about doing this is just making sure that we understand where do you get your dopamine in the morning and how do you sustain that throughout the day? Um, don't get it all at once. Pace yourself, go throughout your day and make sure that you're getting little hits of it. And so what do I say? What do I mean when I say dopamine for people who are listening, who don't quite understand what I'm talking about? Okay. We all get that feeling of accomplishment when we say, uh, go to an inbox of zero for some people, if you read all of your emails and you have an inbox of zero, that is a dopamine hit from the heavens, right? Especially those of us who struggle to get to that inbox of zero, right? Because we just have hit, hit all day long, bombarded all day long, but you see that zero and it's like, man, I did it. All right. Give yourself little hits of dopamine like that throughout the day. And you'll be surprised 
how much more motivated you will be. You'll start seeking out to do more of those things, more of those behaviors. So um, if managers and leadership are listening, ask yourself the question, what motivates me? How small could it possibly be? And can I give those small little things to my employees? Can I pay attention long enough to understand what Susan gets her dopamine hit from? Can I, and I say hit, it sounds like drugs, doesn't it? It's terrible. Um, but it really is. It's, it's, it's neurochemicals that motivate us and keep us happy throughout the day. We talk about employee engagement and drive and motivation and all of these things. And it comes down to how well do you know your employees? First of all, how well do you know yourself? How well do you know your employees? And are you willing to give them what they need? (laughs) And then hit them with a big (laughs) dopamine hit. (laughs) Yes. And then have a party and play games because everyone likes to have parties and play games as long as they're included and heard. Right. That's right. Lee, are you into parties and games? You know, I think we all are to some extent, you know, but, but then again, you also have to to keep in mind, uh, as Sarah brought up earlier, the internal and external, because, you know, some people are going to get more out of it than others. And some people are going to need a recovery period, uh, even if they have a good time. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, to, to kind of go back, you know, something that, that we said earlier. Um, well, two things. One, uh, someone, I think it was, was Linda Ann said about, uh, you know, one person gets her name in the newsletter and another person gets some money or something. And, you know, we, that's something that, that may, be very, may work, but then we also have to be very careful when we're doing individual type things like that. Because if the guy who got his name in the, in the newsletter goes, hey, wait a minute where's my 50? So you have to, you have to, to consider that, um, you know, if you're going to that level, I mean, that was just an example I heard that that somebody said. And also when you're, when you're really talking competition, you also have to keep in mind um, sore losers and sore winners, because I mean, how many people do you know out there that they win something and they're all like, Oh yeah, I'm in your face. And other people are like, dude, you could just step off. So you know, you can actually, in, in trying to foster this this team environment or whatever, you can cause friction because you got the guy who's just ticked off that he didn't get that, you know, new pencil, you know, whatever the prize was, and somebody else who's rubbing it in their face. And all of a sudden, two people that really like each other can't be in the same room together. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of this I mean, really drills down to the communication and knowing people and and uh, and. and and Sarah is so right with the, with the dopamine. I mean, I have a lot of the same thing. I have so hard keeping on task if it's something that I'm not getting, you know, I'm not interested in or whatever. And I've seen that so many times in work where you got one person that they're just going, 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 and somebody else on the same or similar task. And, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're staring into space or whatever else because they're just not getting the same thing. And, and uh, you know, well, and another Linda Ann from the, the, thing the right person in the right job absolutely you know that goes right back ties right into what sarah said i mean you know sometimes you got to shake it up and reorganize people and a lot of companies don't they keep the same person in the same place year after year and they're getting return you know diminishing returns after a while because they're not shaking it up and they're not giving the stimulation and they're not getting the dopamine hits so and quite often that person can become toxic and affect everybody else on the team. Oh, absolutely. 
yeah. especially if they see somebody else getting something that in their perception they should have received yeah. either instead of or in addition to. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jeremy, I'm, I'm starting to think now there should be no competition. <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. I think one of the challenges uh, when we're talking about doing this in, in the workplace, that it's really, again, about um, those managers taking the time, having the knowledge that they need to do it, taking the time to find out about their employees and actively engage and manage. And that's one of the reasons to me why, you know, so many companies are saying, well, I want you back. It's because they're not willing to become comfortable with that next level, that different process um, of knowing what's best for each employee. And it's about each employee. Um, when you're managing a team, it's not a one and done, just you know, tell 10 people. It's about how you're getting each of those 10 people to engage and, and, and perform and all those kinds of things. And that's, again, you know, my um, 20, 21, 22 soapbox. It, the managers have to work well, and I'm they gonna, haven't really needed to work before. I'm going to jump on that soapbox with you because, you know, you've been on the journey with, you know, Jeremy and I and Sarah for a while now, and the roadblock is management, especially when it comes to the remote workforce. Uh, they just, they're the petulant toddler. They're standing on their desk going, no, I want it my way. I want everybody back in the office. And that's why the great resignation is happening. People are just leaving because managers are the roadblock. Managers, as you say, do not want to change. They don't want to do the work. Maybe they've been sitting on the throne too long. Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, Jeremy, do you have any insights on this? Like, what is going on with managers? <laughs> why don't managers want to manage today? What is going on, Jeremy? So there's a lot going on. Uh, what is it? Some, there's 3 billion jobs in the world and about one, a third. So a billion of those are going to change drastically the next 10 years. And managers right now are in this spot where they're at being asked to upskill technically and also manage people. And their jobs are going to look a lot different than, than they do now. And I think they, they can feel it coming. So there's stress, there's anxiety, it's uncertainty. Think about when you onboard people to a company. Most onboarding programs stink because they don't do the one thing that's necessary, which is reduce uncertainty during that onboarding period. Only once uncertainty is reduced can new employees start to learn all the information that they know during the process, but they're too distracted. So there's a lot of uncertainty with managers they're going to have to learn and do things that we're not even, we have no, we don't even know that we don't know it, that kind of stuff. So I think that's part of it. And then it goes back to the age old, which is um, actually who had it, Patty yeah, at our event earlier. She said that there's a, this plays into my mind. She said there's a 17 year gap between when research on organisms comes out and when it's actually implemented into practice, my mind. So there's still, it goes back to the thing. I mean, it, organizations are very slow to adapt and not for a bad reason, um, but there's someone out mowing I can hear and it's distracting me <laughs> deeply. <laughs> um, so they're, they're being asked to upskill, but it goes back to the age old question of, or the age old thing of, are we hiring managers because they're good at leadership or because they're good at a skill? And if we identify that they're good at a skill, then how do we make sure we get them onto the right path? 
So it all goes back to that. It was, we did an episode a, a little bit back about how to identify up and coming leaders and what to do once you've identified them. And I'll urge anyone to go back and, and listen to that for uh, the, to your question. But in, in general, lots of, you know, those are some things that are going on. Well, isn't there, I mean, you know, we were talking to Robert McGarvey last summer and he talked about the huge shift that we're going through right now. This is the type of change we haven't seen since the industrial revolution. And it's really hard for us to see it because we're living in it. But don't managers today need an entirely, you know, they, they, they don't need to change entirely, but there's a skill set out there that they're looking for and they need. And, you know, the more and more research I do, the more and more I read books that seem to be written for the most part by people like IOs. Um, are, is this the, if you want a niche market and you're an IO, isn't this one of the ones that's like right front and center right now with leadership and how to lead in this new work environment? <laughs> that was you, Jeremy. Was that to me? I was, I was yeah. reading the chat. I was getting caught up on the chat and responding. I'm sorry. I, no, I, that's I, okay. I was reading. I wasn't the chat. even on planet Earth for the past couple minutes, Tom. I'm sorry. I was reading I was, the chat, but I was reading the chat after my last comment, going, "Well, there's a lot of manager defenders in our group today." <laughs> but don't managers need a whole new toolkit? Yeah, uh, there's some interest. I, I've, there, there's a lot of good toolkits out now, and most of the toolkits I found for anyone looking to a toolkit. Toolkits are usually the good ones are usually these books that are 500, 800 pages long. I mean, but it's that's what it's a comprehensive toolkit. And and a lot. And and the good part about them is that they're they're edited. They're edited. Right. So you've got maybe, I don't know, five to 10, maybe even 20 contributors that are special in their specialty area. So you don't have just, you know, one or two people that are going with their own frame frame uh, mindset. And writing about all this, you have different people from different uh, areas of focus, different niche focuses, different experiences, all this stuff that we love. And they're able to provide different perspectives and focus into different areas for the toolkits. Supervisor training is one of the biggest gripes for most organizations out there. It's we're we're not giving our, our supervisors training. One of the bigger gripes of supervisors who do get the training is why am I getting this training, but my manager is not. So now I'm becoming a better leader than my manager. So there's a lot going on there and organizations, it's important. These things have been put on the back burner for so long. Organizations get a good onboarding program going, get it down, get a, what, what I call a re-socialization program, which is re-onboarding people that have been there for th- more than three to the new culture, social norms, the how-tos and who to know, and then have good, solid supervisor training that is taken by supervisors, managers, and executives, right? Executives should be able to breeze through it, of course. But Jeremy, they would have to pay for that. Yes. They would have to invest in their people to do that. Yes. And a uh, very smart CEO me, it's better to train people. (laughs) It's that Seinfeld moment where George can't figure out exactly (laughs) quote and he butchers it. Uh, What happens if we train people and we spend the money and then they leave, we waste the money. What happens if you don't train them and they stay? So I agree with you, Sarah. I agree. One of the things too, and this brings up an important point. Uh, I, there's a quote from a consultant, can't remember where. Companies all, and this goes back to checking the box. So many companies do things as a check the box because they say, hey, we're showing our employees that we care, but they don't really follow through on much. Companies always have the 
time. Companies never have, sorry, companies never have the time and money to do things right the first time, but they always have the time and money to do it again, to try to fix it. It's weird. Anyway. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. You know, when it comes to management, I can't tell you how many times I've come across people who have been promoted to managers for all the wrong reasons, because they've been at a company long enough, or they because they've been in that industry long enough. Meanwhile, they have no management skills. They were given no management training, and many of them, they, they don't even have people skills. So now we're dealing with that population trying to manage others. And that in itself has been an issue within many organizations for many, many years. Now, on top of everything else, we're going through this big change. So how can you expect people who weren't trained or qualified to manage to begin with, now you're giving them this big challenge. And if a corporation is not willing to invest the money into those people, then what are we left with, right? Nobody's winning at that point. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> we were talking to um, uh, Liam Martin in Montreal who has remote only uh, company. And he talked about, you know, the, the biggest year for horses was something like 1914, 1915. There were more horses in North America than there had ever been. And then the Model T came out, totally changed things. And 10 years later, there's like 10% of the horses actually in the United States. Linda Ann, let's go to you. I think that we, that managers or leaders also need to, just like they um, invest in themselves for their professional development, they need to understand that this is part of their professional development and to take some of that initiative on their own. It doesn't always need to be company sponsored or whatever. You know, how many of us read books in this forum? How many of us read books just on our own to get better at what we're doing and to learn? And that needs to be an expectation of leadership and management and to bring this conversation full cycle Top management needs to understand what it takes to motivate those people to do that. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, maybe the answer <laughs> is we need more competition amongst managers <laughs> to see who can really learn to motivate their staff. That that's that'd be a very interesting study with the organizational politics that are involved when you get to just the manager level. The competition when you get into fear and all that. That would be uh, that. Hey, there is a topic for another. I think, Jeremy, you need to contact a Fortune 50 company and propose them as a research topic. <laughs> and we know who to contact for that, don't we, Tom? Yes, we do. <laughs> Matter of fact, he would run that competition. <laughs> yeah, he would. And he'd do a damn good job, too. Yeah, he would. Um, all right. We've only got a couple of minutes left, Jeremy. Uh, are you ready to talk about next week's program? Yes. Yeah, so next week we are, and this this may, so next week, how to reverse tension on teams. We'll try to focus on virtual. We always kind of go a little hybrid. That's going to be our topic. I'm warning you, though, that may change, even though it's already up. Some people are there. We may change topics. So there's a uh, we, we put an email out and we put something up on the uh, LinkedIn company page so people can submit topic, topics for suggestions. And we've been getting a lot of good topics for suggestions. Um, so we may stick with that. But we let, we've got a lot of good topics coming up for June and July. Um, but right now. Well, uh, how to reverse tension. Ah, eh, we'll stick with it. 
Yeah, there we go. We'll stick with it. How to reverse tension and pain. That's what you can find. Especially after we've had all that competition, we may need to reduce the strength. Yeah, there we go. That's it. Yeah. Um, and can you so, give us a little update on Seabock? Yeah. So if you're, we have a different link for game time. We're going to play a uh, mind trap that's happening in three minutes. So for that's for a uh, Seabock IO career pathfinder. So join in on there. Uh, just put out a course by yours truly on uh, FBI, psych and FBI techniques to influence people in lead conversations. So that's out now. Uh, we're also working on some refining for our, our IO psychology experts. So those that are uh, later on in their career, we're working on doing some updates for um, added benefits for that too. And I want to give a, oh, if anyone's interested in the Pathfinder, go to the website. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of energy there. Uh, so much to talk about. I would do want to give a quick shout out to Nikki C in Malaysia. Sometimes we get fan mail and people that are fans and, and really provide some, some good feedback. And there's someone in this room today who turned Nikki C on to the show. So thank you, Lee. Appreciate that. Uh, but it's always good to get um, members from uh, people listening from, from, from across the world. So I just wanted to give a shout out. I'll probably have to do it again next week because we're at the end of our, our, our session. Who knows how many people actually make it to the end of our <laughs> session. So I'll probably do a shout out in the beginning of our, uh, our, our time together. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, Lee, Sarah, Dr. Martha, Linda, Ann, Ariana, and all of you who joined us today. Great to have you there, uh, have you with us. And, and once again, please join us, spread the word, let's build the community. And with that, Jeremy, let's count this out. Great show, everyone. Five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.